Hello and welcome to all of our two and four-legged listeners. It's Nathan here from Rightpool. Welcome back to What the Bark. We're into 2024, our second episode. And we're also here with our very first guest of the year, which we're very excited about. But before we introduce uh, our esteemed guest, I'll of course introduce everyone's favorite geneticist, Genetic George. Welcome back. Oh, Nathan. I thought you were going to introduce me as a guest. No. Your mainstay. We've been doing this for, this is our fourth year of. Is this our second pod? Second of, yeah, that's it. We uh, we had our wrap up of your genetic uh, foray into the US. Right, that's right. Well, it's good to be back for 2024 and we're starting it off with a, with a, with a bang, I think. I think it's with a bang. I've been very, very excited to have this guest on for a little while. This breed is a bang, but you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what people think. I think it's a very special breed. Yeah. You know, it's really hot down in Melbourne today and we've got cyclones happening up north. What's happening your end, Jason, with weather? Oh, Nathan, sorry, your Nathan, weather-wise. No, not too bad. Very humid. I know we had the, the most humid day on record in Sydney recently, which was just not very comfortable. Uh, but, we, you know, we pulled through. Um, but we've got another, our guest is also from uh, down in Victoria. So I think we should we should bring him into the podcast without any further ado. So really excited. We're doing a breed spotlight on the beautiful Scottish Terrier. And who better than to have Jason Rhodes from Dumbarton Scottish Terriers joining us for the episode. Welcome, Jason. Welcome, Nathan. Welcome, George. Uh, lovely to be here from a hot and reasonably humid Melbourne as, as well. Yeah. Uh, we've had so much rain. Uh, and being a former Queenslander, it's, uh, it's certainly fairly humid down here, more so than we normally get. Did I hear that right? You moved from Queensland to Victoria. Jack? That's that's a big state. And I'm from Cyclone Territory. I was born in Townsville. Oh, wow, right up there where the cyclones are happening. And so did you bring the Scottish Terriers down with you? No, that was when I was much younger than I am oh, now. Okay, <laughs> good. All right. Well, I'm excited to trace the whole trajectory of, of Dumbarton's as we go. But, but yeah, um, for for our listeners' context, Jason, uh, we've been trying to tee this podcast up for a while. He is a esteemed member of the Scottish Terrier community, and I think we're really excited to dive into the Scotty breed. But also, we're going to talk a little bit about Jason's work in building a great community of the Scottish Terriers all across Australia, um, and I guess. We should start by by hearing a bit about about Jason himself. So, Jason, how did you how did you get started into to breeding? Get, give us a bit of an intro into how how you got started and, and how you ended up with the beautiful Scotty. Well, I'm, I'm a relatively new breeder. I've only been breeding for uh, six years. So, in terms of some of your other uh, lovely guests that you've had on the podcast, uh, I'm relatively new compared to most of those. Uh, so, I only um, yeah. I actually grew up. Uh, with Cocker Spaniels, English Cocker Spaniels. And I guess like most people, when they get into their adult years and they decide they'd like to have a dog, mm-hmm. most people tend to gravitate to the breed they had as a child. So uh, in my sort of uh, early to mid-adult years, I had two other English uh, Cocker Spaniels. Both lived to the age of 15. And um, so I, I grew up with those and... Then I sort of got my first Scottish Terrier in 2016 as a pet. Wow. Ah, started, it always starts as a pet. about showing, didn't know anything about breeding, just I was always very intrigued by them because they seemed like this little black mystical creature 
that you would see in Disney films or on TV or on old postcards and things like that. So I was always intrigued by them. And like a lot of people say, you don't see many of them around. No, there isn't many around. That's exactly what I was going to say. But maybe just to clear for some of the listeners, Jason, although you've only been breeding for six years, you're not a 26-year-old. You've approached it with some maturity here. So I hope people understand that although you're, You've started early. You're not my Uber generation of customer who is in their early or mid twenties who demands things very quickly. You're very. That's why every time you've communicated with me, and I don't mean this in a negative way to my Uber generation. You've done it in a very mature way and sensible. Well, thank you. A reflection I... of um, your approach, maybe to the breed. So I just wanted to clear with people: Jason is not a 26 year old. He might only have started in six years ago, but he's without giving away too much, is of the mature end, in between where Nathan and I lie, somewhere in between yes. them. We'll leave the rest up to the guests. So I, I did start fairly late in the game. Um, yeah. And again, when I first got my Scotty, I had no intention of breeding or showing. It was that came go. I think that's relatively soon after it. But I guess my background prior to getting into Scotty's, uh, I umpired uh, sport internationally for roughly 15 years. Uh, wow. So I've travelled around to different What's countries that? around the world. Uh, indoor cricket. Indoor cricket. Uh, wow. So I've umpired World Cups. I've umpired on indoor TV cricket. in this various countries. You sit on top of a net That's in indoor it. cricket and you make these calls from a booth and you hit all these buttons and it's minus That's right. and minus this and you've got to look other ways and you don't have a square leg umpire and you've got, wow, indoor cricket, that was... You're the boss of everything. So I've done that. So I've got a lot of experience doing that and yeah. obviously I did that internationally for 15 years but obviously as an Australian umpire for years before that so I guess that's where a lot of that maturity comes from yeah. and and once I, I retired from that in 2014 sounds funny retiring <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I guess I decided I wanted to have a think about you know because obviously I did that for so long and it consumed so much of my life what did I want to have as a hobby for the second half of my life, so to speak? Because it's either you either become a golfer or you play lawn bowls. Yeah. I no, neither of those are fairly attractive to me. And then once I got the first Scotty as a pet, I then started to learn about the showing side of things. Yes. And that really intrigued me because it's quite competitive. Um, mm-hmm. The dogs are well, as I, yeah. as I know you full well know. Yes. Yeah. Although. I I found out though actually my little fun fact for the for the day I've got a few little fun facts but apparently the the Scottish Terrier is the second most uh, awarded has the second most wins out of any breed at Westminster just behind the Wire Fox Terrier. Yes, something's so, going on there. Yeah, it's a good breed to get into. Yeah, Beautiful no, breed. Really, it's not yeah. many here. Second, small in stature but big in personality. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that's one thing about them. They do have a bit of, you know, they don't. They do like to tell you who's in charge, don't they, Jason? Oh, most definitely. Everything's on their terms. I know we all have, we take a lot of pride in our prefixes, but Dumbarton can really, can you just tell me about Dumbarton? I mean, I have to fill you in, George, because I, I know Nathan's uh, fully up to speed on this. I did a bit of a stalk of your Instagram, yes. Yes, exactly. And a lot of people ask me, that's why I've had to do the post to explain it all. Oh, uh, I get a lot of people well, asking me about I haven't, I haven't got the time, Nathan, it does to spend on. Just to, yeah, it's 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 research, Re- in bracket, research. Okay, is that what you call it? So um, when I did my breeders exam, uh, just at the very beginning of COVID, 
and uh, very fortunate. I worked hard on that. I by ninety percentage of my exam, which was lovely. I wanted to think about. I wanted my breeders' prefix to have some significance to the breed, and have some like historical shout out to the yeah. breed. Because hmm. most breeders that I've seen around anyway use some sort of derivative of their own name, whether it's their husband and wife hmm. joined together, or some people yep. spell their yep. surname backwards. And for me, that was never really imaginative. So me being the sort of obsessive person that I am, I wanted uh, my prefix to have a tie to the history of the breed. Then I started to look it up, and then I found out about uh, the Earl of Dumbarton uh, in the the mid-1600s was uh, Major General George Douglas. And he was the first Earl of Dumbarton, uh, and he was a Scottish military officer, and he kept a pack of terriers from Scotland that he called the Die Hard Pack. That was the name he gave them. And he later went on to uh, call his favourite regiment, which was the Royal Scots, uh, Dumbarton's Die Hards, after his terriers that he had. So the name, or the moniker Die Hard, has stuck with the breed of Scotties, even though they weren't recognised until at least 200 years later as a breed, that goes right back to then. So that diehard is stuck with them all that time, uh, nearly 400 years. So I wanted to then have my prefix. And when I applied for it, everyone said, there's no way you're going to get that. No way. And I got it. There you go. Got the original diehard, not Bruce Willis. But- yes, Exactly. I think it's. Smart. But there you go, George. That's that's yeah, hopefully like that explains it. it. It's probably one of the reasons you've got so many followers because people just look up for dumb, whatever, and dumb Barton's there thinking they're going to have the answer to all their dumb questions, but really it's a Scottish <laughs> terrier, um, Facebook and Instagram page. Okay, so that's it. That's where it comes from. Good. Well, I thought for a minute then the way you were going, you were going to say your partner called you dumb, so you used part of what you were called as... Uh, but <laughs> no, a bit more significant. A bit mixed in. Uh, okay, good. And I've got two fun facts about that, if you're interested in two Go fun on, facts. Of course. Please. We want to hear about the origins. There's only been two Earls of Dumbarton. So there was obviously uh, George Douglas in the mid-1600s, and then the late Queen Elizabeth II then uh, brought that back and... This would be very interesting to know. The current Earl of Dumbarton is the infamous Duke of Sussex, Prince Harry. There you go. Well, Harry and Meghan. I think I used to call um, some of the indoor cricket umpires Dumbartons when they gave me out when I wasn't (laughs) out. So um, maybe there's... And the second fun fact, because obviously the the town of Dumbarton in in West Dumbartonshire, Mm. uh, another fact that I like is the... Uh, David Byrne, who was the lead singer of the uh, very well-known band Talking Heads, yes, was actually born in the township of Dumbarton. Wow. That's my two little fun facts. And there's a Dumbarton Shear, you said, as well. Yes, West Dumbarton Shear is the area that the township of Dumbarton is in. And a lovely castle as well. I think we need to call this podcast What the Dumbarton Shear. Yeah, we can rename it for for the episode. And is that was that where the the breed came from from Dumbarton or you know or does it go back further than that? It goes back further from that. Like the Scottish Highlands, they were originally called the Aberdeen Terry uh, mm-hmm. from from the Aberdeen area, but they're also in the islands of the uh, West Hebrides, which is islands off the west coast of Scotland as well. So there, there's no real 
date around, they're actually quite an old breed. They're a lot mm. older than what people give them a lot of credit for. Uh, even though they didn't have breed standards written for them until the late 1800s, mm. they go back quite a long way and no one really knows an exact time. Yeah. And I, I read that, you know, there was a lot of controversy because a lot of, you know, Yorkies and Skies and Dandy Dinmonts were all sort of passing themselves off as Scottish Terriers before the breed standard truly existed. So that, you know, well, there were five. There were five different terriers from that part of Scotland that were originally referred to as Sky Terriers. It was like a collector for the Scottish Terrier, obviously the Sky Terrier, the Dandy Dinmont, the Cam Terrier, and the West Highland White Terrier. They were all called Sky Terriers, and although they were then split off in the late 1800s and at various stages had breed standards written for them. Yeah, they all seem to, seem to have a similar sort of body type don't they, all those ones you've just mentioned? And then there's been a evolvement based on a standard as we go along. I will say they were one of the first breeds that I tested going back in my early days in genetic technologies for anyone out there listening because I used to work with a lovely breeder who goes way back and I just don't know if Flora Gillam is still alive. She's in South Australia. She is. She's in a respite home South yeah, Australia at the moment, but she's still she, active. She was the number one Scottish Terrier person who reached out to me and tested for a disease called VWD type 3. which On Willowbrands. Yeah, which people don't really get, Jason, but it can be very life-threatening if you're a positive type three because the bleeding is very very difficult to stop very very difficult not like your type one which you can manage so in some cases in the breed even losing baby teeth was an issue for some the excessive bleeding and flora worked tirelessly back so so i it's great to hear that she's still around because she was lovely and i'm talking you know when i started 18 years ago she was important for the breed, was very, very passionate about it. And I'm glad you still try and keep in touch with her, Jason. Is that right? Yes, definitely. And I do a lot of showing over in South Australia and uh, a lot of her dogs that she's bred and, and breeds uh, are in the ring over there on a regular basis, which is lovely. Yeah, good. Well, if you do get to see her and give her a shout out, tell her that unfortunately I'm still alive. <laughs> I love George that you you remember all of these these people along the way and, and it's it's brilliant. Oh look, you know? Nathan, you don't remember them all. You forget most of them, the ones that. But there are some, and as I keep saying, that people tell you that it's a it's this industry and that industry. But in general, the majority of them are nice. It's just unfortunately the twenty percent who are, who can make it not nice for you. But the majority are lovely lovely and we'll be thankful to flora and obviously many of those older breeders that that those really bad genetic illnesses she used to really bug me about the brindling gene that was sometimes seen in the breed and it caused a bit of that brown ticking i remember that was the latest thing once we started to do some more of the phenotypic test so you gotta understand flora first started and the good news is type three positive you don't see many you shouldn't because it's literally a fatal disease in fact there's very mm. few carriers and then it was the colour, the brindling that she would sometimes see across. And, and we'll probably talk about it later. What are some of the other colours that you see? I always love the way breeders describe their colours because they seem to have different terminology in different breeds. So, Well, the three uh, across all the different countries, that you know, the official breed standard yes. allows for black, wheaten and brindle of any shade. 
That's right. And the brindle is quite interesting because even obviously, you know, you can get your creams in your in your regions. It can have like your dark cream, you know, into a copper color, right through to a very light cream. And I always have to remind people, never white because mm. the white yes. ones are your West Highland whites. So even if yes. you put a clean West Highland white next to a, a really light cream, Scotty, you'll still see the difference. Uh, but with the brindling, a lot of people don't realise that when Scotties were, were sort of first starting to be separated into their own breed in the late 1800s, they were brindle, as they called, called it back then, grizzle was Isn't the colour they referred to it. So Scotties weren't originally black. So a lot of people seem to think that Scotties should be black or they were always black or they were black. It wasn't actually true. Black and Wheaton came about from selective breeding. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, a lot of our... L- a lot of our listeners might be thinking, you know, they might not know what a Scottish Terrier is or they might never have seen one, but I would hazard a guess to say that a lot of our listeners will have because my little, another fun fact I'm going to drop in, the dog in the Monopoly game that you would use on your, you know, Monopoly token that Jason is holding up right now is modelled off a Scottish Terrier. Definitely. That's a very large one. You need a large Monopoly board for this one. <laughs> I didn't know that. There you go. And apparently the most popular Monopoly piece, according to a, a recent survey that was run. The least favourite was the iron, which got, got voted out. But the dog, most popular, the Scotty. I've had iron. That's the one that always seems to go missing because people want to steal it for their little collections. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Well, I've had irons thrown at me, but not Scotty's. <laughs> but interesting. So the Scotty, I didn't even know that. I just thought it was a... West Island White Terrier. No, I thought it was. Um, I just thought it was a dog, sort of thing. Interesting. There yeah. you go. I like that fact. I look at my Monopoly set in a different way now. I was also reading the uh, the breed standard in. I'll give another plug to the Concise Australian Dog Judges Guide, um, which obviously goes through the key points of the breed standard. But I did have a have a chuckle because uh, in bold in one of the sections was. Uh, Hindquarters remarkably powerful for size of a dog and in bold, big, wide buttocks. Yes. <laughs> Which uh, I think if anyone's seen a Scotty, they know, and, yeah, they're and small and but powerful. powerful. And that must be... Well, they're, I mean, obviously they were bred to go to ground. So you look at some of the animals that, I mean, those uh, five terrier breeds we spoke about all sort of were bred by the, you know, the landholders in the Scottish Highlands to rid the land of varmints and vermin. So you had rats and mice, smaller animals like that. But then your Scotties and also your Skies would also be the ones that would also take down your foxes and your badgers. Um, so, and sometimes even otters way back. So they needed that strength, particularly uh, the neck and the, and the forequarters and the hindquarters. If they went into a burrow, mm. they then needed that strength to get out. But they have to be of appropriate size, mm. but you can't have Scotties that are too big because then they wouldn't be able to get back out of the hole. Mm-hmm. The burrow. Interesting. And okay. they had the eyebrows. So the reason why, so I mean, obviously a lot of breeds have characteristics about them that are there for a reason. So Scotties have the big beard and the nice long eyebrows. They're actually there for a reason, not just cosmetic, because when they went into the burrow, the eyebrows, so when they their head hit the top of the burrow and the, the dirt or soil would fall down, wouldn't fall in their eyes because the eyebrows were there. And also their long black beard. So when they were going for the fox or the badger, of course, they're going to defend themselves and reach out. So when they reached out with their claws, they would actually get the beard mm. 
not um, the skin of the dog. There you go. It's, I, I do find it amazing how these how each breeds evolved just to you know for their exact purpose, even down to you know eyebrows and, and beards. I know. Who knew? <laughs> but once you tell people, it makes sense. Yeah. So of course that, that takes me on to my favourite topic of grooming. You know, when you're talking eyebrows and beards and obviously need a bit of grooming there was it stripping you do oh yes it's an uh endless task and it's something that I, I even the best groomers i mean every spotty's got slightly different coats and and then even between your your wheat and your brindle and your black i mean they're supposed to have that rough um out of coat um and when you're hand stripping them each even each dog if that's black can have a slightly different coat then amongst your three different coat colors there can be slightly different texture as well but they are supposed to have a wiry top coat. Yep. They're well, a double-coated breed. I've spent so. a bit of time stripping Mary's coat and I've taken my own grooming to Mary just to sort of learn a bit. It, I still battle with some bits and I have got my little, I've got my curved scissors as well. I'm getting better, Jason. Do you sort of use a groomer or do most of it yourself? No, I do. I do all of it myself. And yes, yeah, it's, it's a huge learning curve. I think we have this some. There's some uh, lovely resources. Uh, I had someone teaching me at the start, but then I've sort of taken, like most things I do, the bull by the horns and, and uh, sort out other resources. And yeah, you're always learning um, and, yeah, and trying I, to improve because- to The problem I've got is that every time Mary sees me going in the shed, she knows what I'm going for and she runs and she hides. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm trying to trick her with treats and then I put her on top of the grooming table and she doesn't move. So I've got to try and strap her in and then, but yeah, you're right. I, it's it's an enjoyable part. I love the stripping part, and it's something about when they've just been groomed and good. Well, I'm glad you've learnt it and done it yourself because that's one of the things about them. When I look at them, is just their appearance. I love that. Well, that's all about when you go into the ring. Obviously, a, a Scotty is going to make its own presence known. That's Correct. what they do. And so everyone always knows when I go to dog shows. They go, "Oh, the Scotties have arrived." <laughs> um, but when they go into the ring, you want them to have that lovely look as well. And uh, obviously, it's, it's all good and well to have a lovely bred dog. But there's also the exhibiting of it, but there's also the presentation as well that all sort of plays a part in it. And that's the same in, in you know many breeds. As long as the temperament of the breed is a reflection of the person who's got it on the lead, then you're fine, Jason. You know, as long as they're like, the Scotties have arrived and you know, they're like Jason again. So, no. So. Attitude runs down the lead. Does that? That's a good line. I like that. Oh, very. Actually, we should use that. That's great. Attitude runs down the lead, and I guess on the, on that note, Jason. So, what? How would you? I mean, we've talked a little bit about it. How how would you summarize sort of the the temperament of the Scotty and and what type of owners would would it suit? Do you think? What are the types of owners that you know you know that might think? Yeah, Scotty's the right breed for me. Well, uh, Scotty's a uh, very loyal and faithful breed. And quite often when they go to a family, they're quite well known for picking a favourite. And that, that often isn't the person that wants to be the favourite. <laughs> Again, typical stubborn squatties. Um, And they're, they're quite a bold breed. Like I said, they they let their presence know and wh wherever they are, they're like, hey, here I am. And they think they're a, don't ever tell a squatty they're a small dog. They think they're a big dog. Yes. So they're bold, but they're never aggressive. So a lot, a lot of my Scotties, uh, when they're puppies and they go to their new homes, 
Um, if they're well-bred, well-raised and socialised, they can go into homes with children of all ages uh, and get along with them really well. And so some of my families have got, you know, young children, you know, four or five, and they get along really well with them, uh, which is lovely. Most of my families, uh, and I guess this is a plug for Rightcore, is that uh, I've been on the Rightcore platform now for maybe 18 months, and I, I must admit it's been amazing. Uh, the quality of the families that I've been attracting uh, to get my puppies has been outstanding uh, to the point where I, I don't advertise any of my puppies. I've got a, a fairly lengthy waiting list and people that are sort of waiting to have one of my puppies. From our end as rightful, like I think it, it ultimately it, we love to have great breeders on the platform, and I think you know we're we're privileged to have Jason as a right poor outstanding breeder, and I think what's really cool is if you go to Jason's page, you know you can just from what he's said, he's put so much effort into building a community around the Scottish Terrier breed, and it doesn't surprise me that you're doing wine and cheese nights and going over to Perth because you know your Facebook page has over sixteen thousand followers, your Instagram has over 19,000 followers. I mean, how, how did you build that community? Where, like, I think this, it's fascinating to hear. Um, I, I guess I come from an IT background and sort of social media blend in that IT background. But I think for me, um, it's about authenticity. It really is about authenticity. And I post natively to my Instagram then about 80% to the Facebook business page. But I just get so much engagement from sharing things about, I mean, let's face it, everyone loves puppy photos and puppy videos. Yes. Yeah, so they're true. the ones that get the absolute most traction. Um, and you can see that I'll get, you know, get over a thousand likes or on photos and videos that I've put up. But there's other things I put up as well about nutrition uh, and things like that, about, uh, you know, feeding raw bones and the benefits of that. They get a lot less traction, but I still see those as being very important. And I get a lot of people saying to me, I didn't know you could do this or how do you do it? And I get a lot of comments um, in my feed, but also direct messages. And I, I always make sure that I take the time to respond to everyone. Um, and people all around the world from, you know, Brazil to Canada to the UK and Ireland, I get a lot of really good feedback from people that enjoy the fact that, um, that I engage with them. Yeah, and they're not just another person clicking the like button. So I mean, so this is a community that is beyond Australia. Yes, no. So I've got, so I've got, you know, all those followers. The the bulk of those are overseas, and when I have uh, puppies, once they're out in the yard from about five weeks onwards, and they've found their footing, I, I do Instagram live videos every day, and I'll quite often have one or two hundred people watching, and I try and keep them to twenty minutes. And I get a lot of questions and people commenting from, and I always ask them to put in the comments where you're from. And I'm always reading, you know, Canada, France, Ireland, Japan, and it differs every time, depending on what time of the day it is, I do the Instagram live. And again, I love doing that as well. And um, I, I try and be extremely transparent in everything that I do, uh, right from the moment that uh, sort of once we've, the puppies have been bought, I've got a litter of puppies now that's uh, three weeks old on Friday. So once we've reached the critical danger points, then I'm very transparent and all my family get to log into a high definition webcam and watch the puppies 24 seven. And sometimes I'll put some of that footage up onto the Instagram as well. So give people an idea of this is what 
how I'm engaging with my puppy families. Um, again, I love doing all that, so I yeah, enjoy it as well. And I, I, I think I just got on there and started following you as we speak, and I'm looking at your social. You've got a blend of videos, blend of puppies, a blend of nostalgia, blend of you know um, food. It's a. I see you've got some nice brush. You've got a nice plug to write poor here again. If I can just mention, always like always at, always at the top. I have I that pins at the top. Yeah, my, that's right. You've with my got, uh, outstanding breeder. A nice picture of history there. You've got say I can see you're good and you're posting. You're getting comments. You're getting lots of likes. I'm going to start following you. I've done that. Thank you. Of artwork. You've got your calendar up there. Some artwork. Who does this artwork? Even like recently, like I shared an image of the spreadsheet of you know weighing the puppies every day uh, and why I do it. And a, a lot of people, even even other breeders, actually direct message me and saying you know how do you do and this and what's the reason good. and. I follow a lot of really good vets in America. You're clever. You, you make sure you keep yourself out of the pictures. Very smart. Oh yes, yeah. It's, oh, very rarely. It's all about. It's all about the dogs. Yeah, all about the dogs. Um, Although people like to see the breeders behind the breed, but I mean, I think that's. I think authenticity. You hit the nail on the head because a lot of breeders always want to know. You know, how do we? How do we build our followers? How do we build a community? And you know, you've got to put in the effort, and you've got to put in the. the you know, you've got to be authentic at the end of the day. It's not just, you know manufactured you know pose it's about showing the raw f footage of what's going on each day educating um so yeah th there's a lot of effort put into doing that people yeah like that interaction people you know if i don't post for a couple of days people message me saying how come you haven't posted <laughs> are you okay yes exactly right and uh yeah about the only time i probably appear in the post is when when i send the puppies off and my transport company comes to pick them up from here I've always got my right paw jacket on, and that's really. And I'm holding the puppy, yeah. and I always get the the driver of the van saying, "I need a photo for right paw." <laughs> that's probably the only time I'm in the photo. No, they're good. Yeah. Even some advice on how to pick up poo bags when you've got dry fingers. I see. Oh yes, that's good. Yes, same as you do when you go to the supermarket and you yeah, get yeah, fruit and right. veg. Right. Yes. I always go and touch a piece of fruit or something so there's moisture on my fingers to open up the freezer bag so yeah as you can see I, the way you look if you look at my instagram you can you can definitely see there that i do invest a lot of time into there and again that in combination with right core so i never i don't even advertise my puppies people come to me and they're very good quality families mm. which i love uh, so you're obviously breeding and you've got puppies and you've got a, a really nice waiting list is that because currently i'm hearing a lot of issues about you know people struggling to sell how are you, I'm, I'm sorry to bring it to a commercial discussion but how are things going jason in the breeding well, again i i'm not going to keep plugging right for obviously <laughs> everything that i do obviously you know i guess it's like selling myself in a way but again with right i'm very fortunate that uh my puppies always have homes before they're born uh, and that's mm -hmm. depends on the color because some people want you know a wheaten boy or a black girl but some people are happy to get a black of either sex. So I've got a whole list. And some people, again, are, are doing home renovations, so they might not be ready until later this year. So I keep a fairly good spreadsheet of everyone and what colours they want. So, but I engage with people that are ready now. So listen, I've got a litter coming up. This is what I go through right from even before I do the mating. This is like the, the health testing that I do. I do blood panels on the, uh, the female before I breed. Uh, and I share with them all the details about the mating, and then we go and get the ultrasound. I share the images of the ultrasound with with respective families and keep them in, in the loop. And a lot of my girls don't live with me. I've got some girls that live out on breeders' terms because I can't keep all my own dogs. 
And they're people that, again, that I found through Right Paul, uh, that I trust immensely because I haven't just got one of my dogs. They've got one of my pregnant dogs right up until a week before pregnancy, but they follow the routine. And again, because of that, getting circling back to your question, George, is that um, I don't have any trouble um, finding lovely families uh, for my puppies. And, and, I, and I other people may not be as fortunate, but I, thankfully I am. Yeah, and I suppose it's because it's not like you're dealing with a breed that's hugely popular like a French Bulldog. I, you know, you, you're dealing with a fairly smally, small registration, small numbers, and people that are looking people that are looking for your, for this breed are looking for the breed, you know what I mean? So they're, they're, they are. We need more breeders, to be honest. How many breeders are there in Australia? Oh, there would be probably, if you go into dogs online, there's quite a number there that are listed, but active. Yeah. Active, yeah. Actively breeding would be maybe on one hand and a half. Gosh. And I had a discussion with someone recently that like, I love the fact that I've got so many people on my wait list that are very good uh, quality people. On the flip side of that, that tells me there's not enough people breeding, yeah. which, yes, I love having a lot of people on my wait list, but for the benefit of the breed, mm. we need more people, uh, maybe not as attested as myself, but we need more people that want to do it properly to breed because um, at the moment there's not enough and that is a genuine concern of mine. So maybe any young person out there or a mature person looking to get into breeding and look at something that, you know, won't have an issue like your saturation of some of the other breeds that are out at the moment, which we won't talk about, um, there's a breed you can start with. Um, Absolutely. I mean, would you, would you ever... Have you ever had any families, Jason, come to you and express an interest in breeding, or would you would you be interested in mentoring a breed? A breed. I, I mean, I've, I've been mentored myself in the past, but again, I've sort of taken that bull by the horn, and I'm, I'm the someone I guess that comes from my sporting career. I like to hear different voices and learn from a whole range of different people. I think that's the best way. And when you're a sponge, you know, you can really learn so much. And yeah, I, I've uh, I've mentored people in, in the sporting background before. And, I certainly like to help someone if someone's willing to do that, because as I said, it's it's uh, it's a little bit of a concern that there's not enough people breeding mm. and and doing things the right way, not just breeding for the sake of breeding. But I call myself a preservation breeder. I want Scottish Terriers to look and act as they should, as per the breed standard, mm. for many years to come. And and I don't really want breeders breeding any any male against any female just for the sake of it because that's not going to be for the um, yeah, we don't want to see any, breed either any merle scottish terriers out there or hairless <laughs> scottish Gosh, no. terriers that would go that could create a um an interest so i hear you yes. i'm sure you have a test for that george we could put we could test for merle on any dog any breed if it's there we'll find it anyone listening <laughs> You think you can hide your mills? We'll find your cryptics. We'll find your atypicals. <laughs> it's, inter- it's another topic we could talk about that, but sometimes people don't even realise they've got them because there's so many different types. So, yes, good. So we do have a panel for the Scottish Terrier. There is just for those listening. There is some new tests coming out very soon. There'll be some oh, exclusive. Yeah, exclusive. By the time they get to this, they'll be re- ready and released commercially, Nathan. That's wow. There we go. What the Bark exclusive. What the Bark yeah, is exclusive for those listening. Um, 
Yeah, interesting. Well, you know, I, I think I think it's it's really good to hear that in times where some I'm hearing most people are screaming out that the supply is high and the demand is low. It's good to hear that in your case it's the other it's the other way around. But it's also because you're investing time into your engaging with potential uh, buyers and also using your right poor portal as a key a key way of getting to those and also health testing and responsible breeding, all those. Absolutely. And I share all of that right through my, you know, the moment I get my right for, uh, sorry, my uh, Orivet genetics, I do the full breed profile. So I share that plus the blood panel from my girl with all of my protective families, even before they pay a deposit. Um, so as you, well enter, as, you, uh, you enter their email and, and share it through the share button? No, no, I've, I've tried I've tried that. Uh, I prefer to just send them, because uh, okay. obviously I have their email address from Rightpaw. Uh, it's one of the added questions I've got on there. So mm -hmm. I just email them their direct report. So it's easy for them just to open up in an email. Mm -hmm. So I share all of that. And, and also in the email that I attach it to, I have an explanation there that I've written explaining the three main genetic illnesses that I test for. Um, as well as obviously coat colours and things like that and talk about some statistics because if some people would like a Wheaton puppy and I, I know from the um, uh, the male and female that I'm breeding whether they're carrying uh, Big E Little E and then I'll know, in other words, in layman's terms, if they're carrying the Wheaton gene and then I'll know what the statistics are of what I could possibly get and that then Mother Nature plays a part in that. I mean, this litter I've got now of seven puppies both parents carried Little E and um, I've got seven black puppies. That's just mother nature. So for those just want to be educated to the extension locus or locus, what we call the Wheaton gene, Nathan. That's it. Which I, we test for. Call back to our colour podcast. The K, the K locus is the Brindling gene that people may want to also be aware of. And just to let listeners, listeners know and maybe sneaks an exclusive as well, is that right poor and Ayurved are looking at ways to integrate the genetics onto the right poor site so you don't even need to yeah we can do automatic verification of testing which is going to be yeah very exciting watch this space sitting on our hands jason nathan and i that would be fantastic Adam. making things easier for everyone yeah. yeah, it's going to be exciting. We're going to be looking to build in the automatic verification of parent dogs so we can see, you know, yes, this parent dog has been genetically tested by Oravet and there's an automatic integration between the two. So once again, Adelaide doing all the hard... You know, <laughs> we're just the ideas people. We've, got to, we've still got to make it happen. Uh, but J Jason, look, before we, before we wrap up, I, I'm keen to, I mean, you've probably had stories over the years. Are there any other fun facts or stories about the breed that you wanted to share from your, your time in the Scotty world? Very good question. I mean, I guess I've got, I've, you know, I've had my own fair share of Scotties already in, um, I love exhibiting and showing. I love the, the, from the, I guess coming from the sport background, I do love the challenge of doing that as well, of entering the ring and, it, you know, for that two or three minutes you're in there, it's 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 on for young and old, so to speak. <laughs> um, so maybe maybe from that aspect, I'm suited to a Scotty. <laughs> yes. Questions, and I'm going to sort of be posing these question this question to all. If you didn't do, if it wasn't the Scotty, what would it be? So say, you know, there's no there's no answer to that because as, <laughs> as everyone who's had a Scotty, George will tell you, once you've had a Scotty, you'd never go to another dog. So. 
just like certain breeds, the Scottish Terrier was banned. Let's put it that way. It was banned in Australia. Banned as a God, this is a big hypothetical. Yeah, this is a big question. Yeah, and you had to now take your passion and hobby to another breed. What would you choose? Can it be in the same ring? Can it be in a terrier it could ring? Be anything you want. Anything you want. I think I would have to go with the Kerry Blue. Kerry oh, Blue. Yeah. Oh, look, very similar look. Very so, similar look. So, and I must admit, Scotties, and uh, because there's certain breeds that Scotties will just walk straight past and not batter an eyelid, there's other breeds that, okay, <laughs> you don't deserve to be here. And Scotties and Kerry Blues will be like that. It's quite funny. When they're outside the ring, so uh, my dog Blake, who I took to Supreme Champion um, recently, uh, quite often if we're outside the ring waiting to go into best in group and there's a Kerry Blue there, they literally want to kill each other. And it's quite funny to see when they're both up on their hind legs and obviously we know we're restraining them appropriately. Uh, it's always good as an onlooker, but it's funny, it's, you walk into the ring and you stack your Scotty behind the Kerry Blue, and it's like, no, I don't care now. This is like uh, the old white line okay. fever. Okay. So, and I've had that happen multiple times with Kerry Blues. So all you Kerry Blue Terrier breeders out there, watch out. because if <laughs> The Scotties are right behind you. <laughs> or if Jason ever decides to move to another breed, you're all in trouble. No, it's interesting because one of the first people we had on our podcast was a Kerry Blue Terrier breeder. Am I right, Nathan? I believe. Oh, yeah, and, and a can as well. That's right. Yeah, one of our first. So, you know, we sort of are on to them, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there you go. Well, I did get an answer out of it. You found it hard, but you at least got me. We got because, But I mean, I mean, look, I mean, my other fun fact they are, they're clearly very popular, the Scotties, because they are popular among American presidents. I read that there's at least three. FDR, Eisenhower, and George W, who have had had Scotties. So it's clearly something in the water there at the White House. It was FDR that popularized them in in, in America, uh, and obviously got a statue there in Washington. So he obviously definitely popularized it there. Because I mean, they moved. You know, they were first moved into uh, the United States of America in 1885. So. And that was because a lot of the Scottish immigrants that were moving over there were taking their beloved pets with them at the time. There you go. So they were still going under there and were recognised by the uh, the AKC, the American Kennel Club, in 1885. And uh, the American sort of the breed standard was sort of heavily uh, readapted in about 1930 and it stayed much the same since. So you look at the Kennel Club in England, the American Kennel Club, and then the ANKC or Dogs Australia, the breed standards are quite similar and largely unchanged since yeah. then with a few little tweaks. George, I don't think we're going to be seeing Jason in any other breed but the Scotty for a while. Thank you so much for being our guest and also sharing so much about the Scotty breed. Yeah, I, I had a lot of uh, a lot of interesting anecdotes that I, I didn't know about. Um, and I think for all of our listeners as well, uh, if you want to follow Jason and see all of these amazing updates that he does on a daily basis, you can follow his Facebook and Instagram pages, Dumbarton Scottish Terriers on Facebook. And what's your handle on, Jay, uh, on Instagram, Jason, at Dumbartons? Yeah, Dumbarton Scotties. Dumbarton Scotties. Yeah. Jason, thank you so much. It was great to have you on. Uh, we're going to post a link to Dumbartons in the show notes as well. And... Uh, we, uh, we appreciate your time. 
Thank you so much, guys. All right. Thanks, everyone. And we'll be back again uh, in a couple of weeks' time with a brand new app. We hope you enjoyed this episode of What the Bark. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the podcast. You can visit rightpaw.com.au for your all-in-one place to find responsible, verified breeders. And you can visit oravet.com.au for all your pet genetic testing needs. Remember to stay positive and we'll see you in the next episode.